following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Before I get into my message tonight, I just want to say this. The greatest thing that ever happened to me is I got saved. That happened in February this month of 1983. That's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, that would be the greatest thing that ever happened to you too. And my prayer tonight that if you haven't been saved, if you haven't been born again, if you don't have assurance and peace in your heart that you'd go to heaven when you die, my prayer is that tonight that you'll come to Christ and you'll receive him into your life and you'll be saved tonight. And you can experience that same joy and that same peace that I and so many others experience as well. Amen, church? And amen. All right. Well, if you brought your Bibles tonight, and I know most of you did, I want you to turn to the book of Romans to start with. We're going to look at a lot of places, but Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to read just one verse to you. But we'll look at a lot of other places tonight as well. But Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And I want to invite you, if you would, please, to stand with me to honor and reverence the reading of God's holy word. In Romans, the first chapter, verse 16, the apostle Paul was writing. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know, the gospel means the good news. What is the gospel? We're living in a day and time when people are trying to redefine the gospel. The gospel is defined for us in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. It's that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and he rose again the third day. That's the gospel. That Nothing else. That's the gospel. Amen? That Christ died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins, and he rose from the dead to give you life. So he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now look at this, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first, that just simply means that it went to the Jew first, and also unto the Greek or unto the Gentile. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we just praise and glorify your holy name tonight. Father, we thank you today for life. We thank you for life more abundantly through Christ Jesus. And Father, tonight I pray for anyone in this building that doesn't know him, that doesn't have a real relationship with him. I pray tonight for the Holy Spirit to convict them, and I pray they would realize their need to turn to Christ tonight before it's everlastingly too late. And Father, I pray for every believer in here tonight that you would speak to our hearts as well. And Lord, that you would burden our hearts over those without Jesus. Father, I pray you would raise up an army of soul winners in this place. And Father, we'll give you the praise and glory for what you're going to do. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Larry Walters drove a truck for a living, but all his life he dreamed of being a pilot in getting to fly. So after graduating high school, he enlisted in the Air Force, hoping to eventually be trained as a pilot. But his poor eyesight disqualified him. So when he left the military, he got a job driving a truck, but he still couldn't shake the idea of maybe getting to fly someday. He would come home every evening from making his deliveries in his truck And he would sit out in his backyard in his lawn chair and he would watch all the planes and the jets flying over. And he still dreamed about the possibility one day of getting to fly. Then one day he got an idea. He went downtown and visited the local army surplus store. He bought a tank of helium and he bought a half a dozen of weather balloons, those big spear balloons that are about six feet long when they're fully inflated. And he took them back to his house and he attached the balloons to his aluminum lawn chair. And then he anchored the lawn chair to the front bumper of his Jeep. Well, then he went inside and he packed himself some drinks and sandwiches and he loaded his BB gun. And here's what he thought he could do. He thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut the line 
and I'm going to float up two or 300 feet and look around the neighborhood and enjoy the afternoon and enjoy a sandwich and a soft drink. And when I'm ready to come down, I'll shoot out a balloon and another balloon, and I'll just drift back down to the earth. He really thought that's what would happen. So he sits down in his lawn chair. He pulled out his pocket knife, and he cut the cord. When he cut the cord, rather than slowly drifting up as he anticipated, it was as if though he had been fired out of a cannon. The next thing he knew, he and his aluminum lawn chair were soaring among the clouds at 11,000 feet. True story. Well, at that height, he couldn't risk deflating the balloons, so he sailed among the clouds for 14 hours in a lawn chair at 11,000 feet. Well, eventually, the winds caused him to drift into the approach corridor of the Los Angeles International Airport. A Pan Am pilot was coming in, and he noticed him. And he radioed the air traffic controller, and he said, You're not going to believe this. He said, but we just passed a guy in a lawn chair at 11,000 feet. He's got a BB gun across his lap, and he's eating a sandwich. Well, the winds began pushing him out over the ocean. The Navy dispatched a helicopter to try to rescue him, and every time they would get close, the rotation of the blades would just push him up higher. So they had to get the biggest helicopter the Navy had available, which was able to fly over the top of him, drop down a rescue line, and they were able to pull him to safety. Well, when the helicopter landed in downtown Los Angeles, news people and cameras were everywhere along with several policemen. And as he got out of the helicopter, he was immediately arrested and put in handcuffs. And as they were putting him in the back of the police car to haul him to jail, a a news reporter stuck a microphone in front of him, and he said, Mr. Walters, he said, we got to know something. Why did you do it? And Larry Walters just kind of looked down, and he said, well... He said, a man just can't sit around. (laughs) Amen. And friend, may I say to you as the church of the living God, neither can we. We live in a nation and we live in a world that's lost and getting more lost by the minute. We live in a world that's hurting, that's confused, that's desperate, and they really don't even have a clue what the answers are, but we do know the answer. Amen. And what has happened with a lot of Christians today is we have become ashamed of the gospel when we ought to be sharing the gospel. Amen? We, I mean, we really have. So winning, our personal evangelism has become a thing of the past for many Christians. It has been said that 90% of Baptists, I don't know about the other groups, but I do know about Baptists, and 90% of Baptists will never in their lifetime, ever, never in their lifetime, even lead one person to Christ. And out of that 90%, most of them are never even going to try. And friends, this ought to trouble us. I don't want anybody to raise their hand or anything. I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot. But when was the last time that you personally witnessed to somebody? And when's the last time that maybe you shared your testimony with somebody or handed them a gospel track or explained the track to them? Or when was the last time that you personally led somebody to accept Jesus Christ? When was the last time that you tried? If everyone in the church witnesses like you do, what chance would lost people in this community or in this area ever have of hearing about Jesus and how to be saved? You see, I think it's time for the church in America today, every church in America, to quit being ashamed of the gospel, and it's time for us to get intentional about sharing the gospel. Amen? And that's what I want to speak to you about tonight, about being intentional, about witnessing, about laying aside all of our excuses, all of our fears, and just be intentional about sharing Jesus with others. How many of you in this building tonight came to the soul winning class on Saturday morning? I know we had others from other churches and stuff as well. We had a good number there, and and, and that shows that there's great interest and that you want 
to be a witness and you want to be a soul winner. So tonight we're going to talk about just doing it. Amen? How are we going to do this? Well, we've got to be intentional. And I want us to consider three things tonight, all right? If we're going to be intentional about sharing the gospel, if we're going to be intentional, friends, about penetrating the town, the city, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, what's it going to take for every Christian? What is it going to take for the church? Well, first of all, you got to be willing to go. Amen? That's that's point number one. We have to go. Over in the Great Commission that's found in Matthew 28, and those verses have been quoted a few times this week, and I believe even tonight, uh, I call this the marching orders for the church. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That means lead people to Jesus. Make disciples out of them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. If you believe that, say amen. You see, literally, if you read this in the Greek text, it literally reads, as you are going, make disciples. As you are going, where you're going, make disciples, lead people to Jesus. There used to be an evangelist from Texas. He's in heaven now by the name of Freddie Gage, who God used greatly. And he always used to say, you can't even spell the word gospel without the word go. (laughs) Well, he's right. Amen. We got to go we got to get out there where the people are at, as we're going, when we're going, where we're going. We ought to be looking for opportunities every single day to share Christ with someone. But if we're going to do that, church, hear me, we've got to be intentional. Amen? Well, where will we find some of those opportunities? Just wherever you go. It may be at the grocery store. It may be at Walmart. It may be at the gas station, the restaurant, the barber shop. It may be at school students. It may be next door with your neighbor, your friends at work. I mean, just anywhere you go, you ought to be praying every day, Lord, I'm going to be out and about today, and there's going to be people in my path, some I may know, some of them I won't know, but Lord, help me to be intentional about sharing Jesus with others. Amen? And God will put those divine appointments in your path. He'll put people in your path. We ought to be seeking and looking for lost souls. And friends, this is not complicated. You know, I think about uh, over in Mark chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus told a man that he had healed and cast demons out of. He said, go home and tell your family and friends what the Lord has done to you. You know, that's what witnessing is, going and telling what Christ has done for you and what he can do for them. Amen? And listen, as the church of the living God, soul winning, witnessing has got to become a priority, the number one priority, and it's got to become a way of life for everyone who claims to be a follower of Christ. Now, I know we all missed opportunities. I certainly do, and I'm not proud of that, but I've missed lots of opportunities. But we ought to be seizing the moment. Amen? I heard about this little boy one day. Uh, his mama was an English teacher, and she insisted that he speak proper grammar. And they were getting ready to go somewhere, and she said, Come on, Johnny, we're getting ready to go. He said, I ain't going. She said, What did you say, young man? He said, I ain't going. She said, No, 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 you don't understand. She said, It's I'm not going. We aren't going. They aren't going. She said, do you understand that? He said, yeah, ain't nobody going. <laughs> Amen. Well, you know what the problem with the church is today in the 21st century? There ain't nobody going. There ain't nobody going. And Jesus said, we need to go. D.L. Moody, I believe him and Billy Graham were the two greatest evangelists that ever set foot on this earth. And D.L. Moody made a commitment to, to the Lord to witness to at least one person a day. Now, he saw over a million people saved in his ministry preaching revivals and crusades. But he personally, one-on-one, witnessing, led over 75,000 people to the Lord. Amen? 
That's being intentional, isn't it? And, and, and you know what? He just made a commitment to the Lord. And here, here was his commitment. He said, Lord, every day I want to witness to at least one person. Every day. Every day I want to witness to at least one person. And he had, uh, he'd come home one night. He's living in Chicago at the time. He wasn't feeling good. It was late. It was cold out. It was raining. And he got in bed. And after he got in bed, he realized he'd not kept his commitment to the Lord that day. You know what Moody did? He got up. He got dressed. He walked downtown Chicago midnight. And even back in the 1800s, it wasn't hard to find somebody in Chicago at midnight. And he saw a guy standing over under a, under a light post with an umbrella. And, uh, and Moody walked over and said, uh, sir, could I have shelter under your umbrella? And he said, yes. And he stepped under it and Moody said, but do you have shelter in the time of a storm? The guy said, what do you mean? And he told him about Jesus and he led him to Jesus and he got saved. Moody left, went home, slept like a baby. Amen. You say, I don't like that plan. Okay. Well, what do you do? You got a better plan? Could you imagine if everyone here tonight that claims the name of Jesus that says you are a real follower of Jesus, if we just decided every day that we're going to witness to at least one person every single day, can you imagine what would happen in this town and through this church? Amen? And that's what we got to do. It's come to that. That's what we got to do. And that ought to be natural for us, really. So first thing, if we're going to be intentional, we got to, what's the first thing we got to do, church? We got to what? Got to go. All right. Secondly, we need to sow. We need to sow like you're sowing seed. Turn over to Psalms 126. This is one of my favorite passages on soul winning in the Bible. Psalms 126. And, and the passage here is about the children of Israel had been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. They've come back to their land. Their land is desolate. It's, the ground is fallow. They're gonna, they're gonna have to sow, plant. They're gonna have to sow. They're gonna have to water. They're gonna have to work, right? In order to have a crop, in order so they could live. Well, the, the psalmist makes a spiritual application to the last couple verses here, and it has to do with evangelism. It has to do with witnessing, with soul winning. Look what he says in verse 5. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. By the way, nobody has any greater joy than a soul winner. Amen? There's, there's joy in winning people to Jesus. In verse 6 says, He that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. There it is again. Bring the sheaves with him. Now here's the picture. The picture here is a farmer. He's standing out in a field that's just been plowed. He's got an old leather seed sack hanging over his shoulder. And you know what he's doing? He's walking out there and he's throwing out the seed. Get it? He's broadcasting the seed. Well, the farmer is you and I. The seed is the gospel. It's the word of God. The ground is the hearts of those who are lost without Jesus. Amen? And it gives us a promise in here. It said that if you'll go forth weeping, in other words, having a burden for those without Christ, bearing that precious seed of the gospel, you'll doubtless come again rejoicing and bring your sheaves with him. Back in those days when they would harvest the wheat, they would bind up the wheat in sheaves and they'd lay it along the side of the fields. And then the reapers would come, the harvesters would come, and they would gather up all the sheaves to take it to the barn. All right, and that's that's the picture here. And what he's saying is this, if you'll be faithful to go, if you'll be faithful to show, eventually you're going to lead somebody to Jesus. Amen? You're not going to lead every person you witness to to Jesus. Nobody does. You're not going to, but I promise you this, if you don't witness to anybody, you sure aren't going to win anybody to the Lord. Amen? But if you witness to enough of them, you can't but help eventually Win somebody to Jesus. We're to be broadcasting that seed. That's why I carry gospel tracts on me all the time. Uh, that's why I like to have a Mark New Testament with me. Friend, I want to be ready because we're in the soul winning business. Amen? Well, there's a New Testament parallel to this. Look over at John, the fourth chapter. John chapter four. And look what Jesus says over here. It's very similar, <clears throat> similar to what we just read. I better get me some water. All right. In John chapter 4 and, and uh, verse 35, look what he says here. 
Jesus says, say ye not. Are there not four months, then comes the harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they're white already to harvest. He that reaps receives wages and gathers fruit unto eternal life, that both he that sows and he that reaps may rejoice together. Herein is the saying true, one sows, another reaps. You see, you may witness to somebody a hundred times, but you don't win them to the Lord. Somebody else comes along first time, they win, they win them to the Lord. They reap, they harvest. Don't get upset about that. Rejoice that the person got saved. Amen? And they wouldn't have led them to the Lord if you hadn't have been planting the seed. When I go into a church and I see a great harvest of souls in a revival or crusade, listen, I get to reap where I've not sowed. Because people have already sowed. They've already gone. They've already sown. Amen? And I've reaped where I've not sown. It doesn't matter who gets in on the reaping. That's the fun part. That's the part we all want. We all want to lead people to Jesus. But hey, if there's no going and there's no sowing, there won't be any harvest. Amen? That has to happen. Well, look what it, look what he says here. It's here and it's the same is true. One sows and other reaps. I, look at verse 38. I sent you to reap on you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you've entered into their labors. You see, it's a team effort, this soul-winning business. He said, one sows, another reaps. And then he says, we enter into the harvest together. You see, Jesus is using, as the scriptures often do, an illustration from the agriculture world. If you were raised on a farm... Or if you, if you plant a garden, you already know this principle very well. Before you're ever going to have a harvest, you got to sow the seed, right? If you don't plant anything, you're not going to have any crops. And, and you know why most Christians never lead anybody to Jesus? It's very simple. They're not going and they're not sowing. Amen? They're not going and they're not sowing. Over in Matthew chapter 13, I'm not going to take time to turn over there. Jesus gives the parable of the soils. And those soils represent the human heart. And he said, when you sow that seed, some's going to fall on the wayside soil. The wayside's that beaten down, trodden down path around the edge of the field. You all know what I'm talking about? Around the edge of the garden? What happens when you drop seed on it just bounces off, doesn't it? He said, some's going to fall on the wayside soil. What do you do? Keep throwing it out. Keep throwing it out. Some of it's going to fall on stony ground or rocky ground. The ground's been cultivated, but there's a lot of rocks in it and such. And it's hard for the seed to get in there. Some's going to fall on thorny ground or weedy ground. And these folks, they're open to the gospel. They want to hear what you have to say, but the cares of riches and the world and all that stuff overtakes them. Amen? Just like a weed does a garden. And then he said there's the good ground. That's the ground that's prepared. That's the ground that's ready. You walk up to them. They've never met you in your life. Say, well, you want to get saved? They said, man, I've been waiting on somebody to tell me how. You say, that don't happen. Yes, it does. I can assure you it does. Amen? That's the good ground. They're ready. They're ready to get saved. They'll get saved right then, right there on the spot. And I want to tell you what I believe. I believe there are people that we encounter every day, if you go out in public at all, that would get saved right now, this moment, if somebody would tell them how to be saved and then draw the net and give them an opportunity to be saved. Right now. I I believe there'd be over a million people in the United States get saved tonight. Tonight. If Christians would just take this serious. Amen? Quit being ashamed of the gospel. Quit worrying about who we're going to offend. And let's just tell them what they need. Amen? And that's Jesus. What, why are we so ashamed? Friend, if you're saved tonight, listen, God's forgiven you of all your sins. He's rescued your soul from a burning hell. Why would we not want to share that with somebody? Amen? We ought to want to share that. Look over at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew, the ninth chapter. I love this passage of Scripture here. Look at it. Gives us the heart of Jesus if we, if we look at this in Matthew the ninth chapter. Look at, uh, well, look at verse 35, verse 36. 
It says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with what? Compassion on them or for them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he to his disciples, the harvest truly is what, church? Plenteous. But the laborers are few. Same problem today. The harvest is plenteous, folks. The problem's not in the harvest. The problem's in the laborers. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of harvest, that he'll send forth laborers into the harvest. See, he said, you pray that, that people be raised up to get into the harvest. Amen? That's what he's talking about. Pray for laborers. Evangelist Junior Hill is a good friend of mine, and I heard him say one time, he said, we are living in a seedless generation or a seedless society. It, there was a time when the church in America, particularly Baptist churches, man, they seeded their communities with the gospel. They were aggressive in outreach. They were aggressive in sharing their faith. And they, most people heard, they at least knew about it. They might not have been saved, but they knew they needed to be. Amen? And we're living in communities now that are seedless because nobody's sowing the seed out there. Nobody's witnessing. Nobody's sharing Christ. No wonder our towns and our nation is going to hell. Amen? You see, we got to go. And we've got to sow. And so if you're going to be intentional, if I'm going to be intentional about witnessing, we've got to do this. And I'll tell you what I believe. I believe we ought to look for them every day where we're going, as we're going. I still believe in church outreach and visitation programs. Hey, they used to work. Why wouldn't they work now? Amen? They still they still work, but the devil's made us think that they won't. But I, I'm going to tell you, I believe if you get serious about witnessing, God will even send them to you. Amen? He'll send them to you because he knows that you'll share the gospel with them. Any of you ever heard the story about Peter Apple? <laughs> he was a Confederate soldier during the Civil War. He didn't know the meaning of retreat. He knew one thing, charge. Well, they got in a skirmish one day with the Union Army, and they were all outnumbered, and his sergeant shouted, Retreat! 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 Well, he didn't know what that meant. He didn't know, he just kept charging into the enemy line, while the rest of his army went over and hid. Well, a little bit later, here he come back, and he had, he had several prisoners, Union soldiers, marching in front of him. He had his bayonet out there and his muzzle loader pointing at him, and his sergeant said, where did you get all of them? He said, over yonder in the ditch. He said, everybody could have had one if they wanted one. <laughs> Amen? Well, guess what? Everybody could have one if they want one. They're out there. You're never going to run out of customers. Amen? There are plenty of people out there that we can share Christ with. You say, well, preacher, that sounds good, but I'm waiting, praying on a divine appointment. Well, why don't you just get out there and go and sow, and Jesus will give you one. Amen? He'll give you one. What did Jesus say in Matthew 4, 19? He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I asked the class this Saturday morning, I said, if you're not fishing for men, are you really following Jesus? And the answer is no. No. If you're not trying to be a soul winner, you're not a witness, and you never share your faith, you're not following Jesus. Amen? He said, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Friend, get you a New Testament. Mark it. All you got to do is mark four or five verses, and you can lead anybody of the Lord anywhere on planet Earth. Amen? Get you a few tracks, get your testimony down where you can share it in two or three minutes, learn the Romans road, and you just go out there, look for opportunities, and pray, and God will open up doors, and you'll get to lead people to him. Amen? So if we're going to be intentional, what do we got to do? Number one, we have to go. Number two, so. And then let me give you the third and final one. Number three, we need to show. We need to show. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Look at Matthew 22, verses 37 and following. Matthew 22, look at verse uh, 37. All right. Look what he says here. And Jesus said unto him, well, I need to back up with this. Verse 36, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? 
And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. You all know that verse. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now look at verse 39. The second is likened unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. All right? Two things here. Now, who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is not just that person who lives next door, although that would include them, but neighbor is anybody you and I come in contact with. That's what the word implies. Amen? Whoever it may be. And anybody we come in contact, we're, we're to show the love of Jesus to them. We're to love them enough to witness to them and tell them how to be saved. Now, some Christians will say this. I hear it all the time. They say, well, preacher, that, that stuff's good for, for evangelists and pastors and missionaries. But I just witness by my lifestyle every day. How's that working for you? How many people you led to the Lord by doing that? Let me answer it for you. Zilch. Zilch, because they're not saved by your lifestyle or my lifestyle. They're saved by his death on the cross. Can I get a witness in the house? Amen? Just living a life in front of him, but that's not witnessing. Now, I'm not minimizing the importance of living a godly, holy life in front of other people. In fact, if you don't, you don't have a platform to even stand on. Amen? So I'm not minimizing the importance of it, but again, don't don't try to replace witness and well, I just live a good life in front of them. No, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. They need to know why they need to be saved. They need to know how to be saved. And then don't stop there. Draw the net and ask them, would you like to receive Christ right now? And, and most of them will if they're given the opportunity. Amen? And so we need, we, we need to show. And witnessing is when you intentionally tell them how to be saved or, or you personally give them a track. But just, just by your lifestyle, friend, that, that's not going to do it. We, we need to show. Now, what do we need to show them? Let me give you two things, and I'll be to the end of this message. Number one, love for the Savior. He said what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Do you love Jesus tonight? Say amen. Amen. I do too. I'm telling you, Jesus gets more precious every day. Listen, I, I am a full-grown man, and I'm not ashamed to stand up here and say, I love Jesus. Amen? I love Jesus. He's the most important one in my life. I love Jesus. And we're to show love for him. And we're to show that love to others. And we need to show the love of Jesus by caring for their soul and witnessing to them. Amen? We need to do that. And, and our life ought to reflect the love of Jesus. It ought to reflect Christ living in us. But secondly, love for the sinner. He said, love your neighbor as thyself. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter how bad they are. Listen, they need Jesus, just like you and I needed Jesus. Amen? We're to tell them about Christ. And e listen, every person you and I meet is somebody Jesus died for. Always remember that when you go out every day. Every person you meet is somebody that God loves and Jesus died for. Every person you meet is somebody Jesus shed his blood for. Every person. Amen? So are they important to him? Absolutely they are. And they ought to be important to us as well. And friend, we need to tell everyone, the down and out, the drunk, the drug addict, the prostitute, the, the school teacher, the banker, the lawyer, uh, the doctor, the dentist, it doesn't matter. Whosoever will, we need to tell them that Christ loves them and he died for them and he'll save them if they'll surrender their life to him. Amen? need to tell them that. How many of you are familiar with the Baptist Children's Home? Well, before it was ever the Baptist Children's Home, it was Buckner's Children's Home. And it originated in Texas. That's the first one ever. And, and Daddy Buckner was, was the founder of it. And all those little orphans called him Daddy Buckner. And he told the story one time of how they, a, a little girl, they brought her in. Her name was Mary. She lost her parents and all her siblings in a house fire. 
And she barely got out alive, barely. And one side of her face was scarred badly because she had been burnt so bad. And she was so ashamed of that scar, she had hide her face, and she wouldn't play with the other kids. And other kids would make fun of her and laugh at her. And so they had her there at children's home, and this just went on and on. And it really troubled Daddy Buckner. And one day he come in, he said, where's little Mary at? They said, she's out there by, under the tree. He said, is anybody playing with her? They said, no, she's by herself. Well, Daddy Buckner broke out in tears. He said, I can't handle this anymore. And he went out there, and he picked up Mary, and he held her up, and he looked at her, and he said, Mary... He said, Mary, don't you know that we love you? Mary, we love you. We care about you. And man, he laid a big old kiss on her and her eyes lit up for the first time. He saw her smile and she said, oh, Daddy Buckner. She said, would you kiss me again on the good side of my face and tell me that you love me? He said, Mary, I'll kiss you on the scarred side of your face and tell you that I love you because I love all of you. Amen. And that's the way you and I need to be. That's sharing the love of Christ. Amen? Doesn't matter what they've done. Doesn't matter where they've been. Doesn't matter how bad they've failed. It just doesn't matter. There isn't anything that Jesus can't take care of. Amen? It's well to show love for the sinner. What's Luke 19.10 say? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's the whole reason he came to this earth. So let's go back to Romans 16 as we wrap this message up. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who will believe. If you believe that, say amen. So what am I saying, church? Listen, I'm going to say this wherever I go. We've got to get intentional. The hour is late. We're running out of time. It's time to get intentional. And when I say that, I mean we as individual Christians, I mean as the church of the living God. We, your pastor believes that. That's why he offered this soul winning class on Saturday. That's about getting intentional. Amen? But listen to me. You can go to class after class after class, but if you don't do something with it, you're wasting your time. Amen? You've got to do something with it. It's time to put it into action. And we got to go, we got to sow, and we have to show. Now listen, then we leave the results in God's hands. I've seen people over the years, and I've trained hundreds and hundreds of people in soul winning. Hundreds. And I've seen people go out a few times or whatever and they didn't leave by the Lord and they want to give up. How ridiculous. And we need to keep going, keep sowing, keep showing. Look for opportunities wherever you go. I'm going to close with this story and then give the invitation. How many of you ever heard of Adrian Rogers? Most of you, I figured that. And I know Brother Tracy mentions him as well. Well, Dr. Rogers told this story. I actually heard him tell this story. And he said he was on a Friday, it was on a Friday. He pastored Big Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Germantown. Big, big church with thousands and thousands and thousands of members. He had a multi-staff. Fridays was his day to finalize all his sermons. On that day, he'd go in his study, and he gave his secretary orders. I don't take any calls. I don't make any visits. Nobody comes to see me. The most important thing I do as a pastor is prepare my sermons. To preach to the people of God. We got other people to do that the other stuff. And so on Friday, leave me alone, unless it's an emergency. And he was in his office one Friday, and his phone rang, and it was his secretary. He said, yes. She said, Dr. Rogers, I'm so sorry to, to visit, to, to bother you. She said, but we've got a call for you. And she said, I, knowing you the way I do, I think you'd want to take this call. Being the gentleman that he was, he answered that phone with that deep voice of his. He said, Hello. And a woman on the other end of the phone began to scream into the phone. And she said, my dad is in hell. My dad is in hell. My dad is in hell. And 
Dr. Rogers said, ma'am, calm down. Calm down. Calm down, sweet lady. Get a hold of yourself. She finally did. He said, ma'am, I just found out about your dad yesterday that he was in the hospital dying of cancer. He said, I went there last night myself to see him. He said, I walked into his room. There was no family there. There were no doctors. There were no nurses. Just me and him. He said, I introduced myself to him. And I said, sir, I understand that you're very sick. He said, yes, I am. Sir, I understand that you're probably not going to leave this hospital. Are you aware of that? You're not going to leave this hospital alive. You're probably going to die in this room. You know that? He said, yeah. He said, sir, has anybody ever told you about Jesus and how to be saved? He said, no, never. He said, sir, could I tell you about Jesus? He said, yeah. He said, I want to tell you how to be saved. He said, I, I want to know. And Dr. Rogers took his little New Testament out of his coat pocket and he took him to Romans 3.23 and read, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He said, Sir, do you know you're a sinner? He said, I know I'm a sinner. He took him to Romans 6.23. That says the wages of sin is death, separation from God, but the gift of God's eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He took him to Romans 5.8 that says God commended his love towards us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took him to Romans 10.9 that said if you'll confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He took him to Romans 10.13 that says for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, sir, would you like to be saved? He said, boy, I sure would. And he said, ma'am, your sweet daddy laying in that bed called upon the Lord. And he asked Jesus to, he asked Jesus to forgive him of all his sins. He said he apologized for wasting his life and living all those years without Jesus. And he asked Jesus to come in his heart and save him. He said, so ma'am, your daddy's not in hell. Your daddy's not in hell. Your daddy's in heaven. He said she began to weep again. Only this time it was tears of joy. And when she finally got a hold of herself, she said, Oh, Dr. Rogers, I didn't know. She said, I've been driving for two days trying to get home to see my daddy before he died. She said, by the time I got to the hospital, he had already passed. She said, I didn't know. I didn't know. Thank you for sharing Jesus with my dad, Dr. Rogers. Thank you for witnessing to my dad. My dad's now in heaven. And then Dr. Rogers said this. He said, but ma'am, he said, I, he said it was my privilege and honor to. You're not going to forget what I'm getting ready to tell you. Dr. Rogers said, ma'am, if it had been left up to you, his Christian daughter, if it had been left up to you, your daddy would be in hell. You say, that's an arrogant statement. No, it's not. Dr. Rogers didn't have an arrogant bone in his body. He's just stating a fact. He said, if it's left up to you, your daddy would be in hell. And that's the truth. Here she is, a Christian. She never once ever witnessed to her daddy. Never once ever told him how to be saved. But friend, I want to ask you a question. What about that son or daughter of yours that's lost? You're hoping somebody will witness to them. It's left up to you. Where are they going to end up? What about that grandson, granddaughters living like the devil and living like the world, live like God doesn't exist? You won't even witness to them. They're going to end up in hell. They're going to end up in hell if they don't get saved. Amen? So what if it's left up to you? What's going to happen to them? What about that mom or that dad or that brother or sister or that friend that you work with or that neighbor next door 
that you've lived next door to all these years. They know you go to church, but you've never once shared your testimony with them. You've never once told them how to be saved. What's going to happen to them if it's left up to you? It's time that we get intentional about witnessing. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. In a few brief moments, we'll have our invitation. And I know I've gone long again tonight. I've not done very good at keeping track of time. But thank you for listening. I want to make two appeals tonight. One is going to be to the church about witnessing, about soul winning. But the first one's going to be about salvation. I want to ask you tonight, you're here tonight. What's going to happen to you? What if you were to die right now, this moment? Where would you spend eternity? You say, well, I think I'd go to heaven. Well, have you been saved? No, I haven't been saved, preacher. Then you're not going to go to heaven. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Well, I live a good life and I'm a good person. Well, that's great. But you're still not going to go to heaven. You've got to be saved. You've got to be born again. You've got to trust Christ. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands tonight of how many of you are saved and you know that you're saved. I've done that every single night. I will make an appeal here in a moment for you to raise your hand. But if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you don't have a relationship with God, you don't know that you have heaven and eternal life, you say, what do I got to do to be saved, preacher? Okay, let me tell you. Give me two minutes. The first step is simply admitting to yourself and admitting to God, God, I'm not saved. I'm not saved. That's the first step. Till you get beyond that, you're not going any further. God, I'm not saved. Nobody, listen, you, you come into this world with a sin nature. And that sin separates us from God. And that's why Jesus said you need to be born again. You need a spiritual rebirth. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Was to pay the penalty for your sin. And that's why he rose from the dead to give you life. So you say, well, preacher, why do I need to be saved? Because the Bible says we've all sinned. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're separated from God. But the good news is God loves you and he has a remedy. And that's his son, Jesus. So what do you do? Simply admit, God, I'm not saved. Secondly, be willing to turn. You say, what do you mean? That means to repent. That's a change of mind about your sin, about yourself, about God. Be willing to turn from your sins and turn to Christ. Would you be willing to do that right now? It's a change of mind about your sin and self. Thirdly, you've got to believe. You've got to place your faith in Christ. And listen, it's not enough just to believe about Jesus. It's not enough just to believe in his existence. It's not enough just to believe all the stuff about You've got to believe on Jesus. You've got to place your faith and trust in him. When the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, when John 3.16 talks about believing on him, that means you trust him. That means you surrender your life to him. And you do that by faith, believing he died on the cross for you and he rose from the dead. You trust him. You rest all your weight upon him. That's what true Bible believing is. That's what true faith is. Would you trust Christ tonight to be your Lord and Savior? You confess him as Lord. You believe in your heart. John, 10, uh, I mean Romans 10, 9 says. You say, well, I want to do that tonight. Well, I've got good news for you. If you're willing to do that tonight, you can be saved. Sir, ma'am, young person. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what that verse means? It means what it says. So right now, I'm going to pray a short and a simple prayer. Some call it the sinner's prayer. Some call it a prayer of salvation. I, I, it doesn't have a name. I don't care what you call it. It's a prayer of repentance and faith. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you're not saved tonight and you want to be saved, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. I'm going to pray out loud. You can pray out loud, 
Or you can just pray quietly right there where you're seated in your pew. God can hear a whisper all the way from heaven. Just pray in your heart. God will hear it. And listen, just repeating some words after me will not mean anything unless you're sincere, unless you mean it in your heart. But if you mean it in your heart, I believe God will hear it and he'll save you. You say, what do I say, preacher? I don't even want to say. Say something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm lost. If I died right now, I'd go to hell. But Lord Jesus, best I know how right now, I repent, I turn. I confess you as Lord. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And Lord Jesus, right now, I give you my life. Come into my heart, save my soul. Please forgive me of all my sins and change my life. Thank you for saving me tonight. Thank you for loving me, Jesus. Help me to live the rest of my life for you and help me to never be ashamed of you starting tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Now, as our heads are still bowed and eyes are closed, listen to me. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, 33, whoever confesses me before others... I'll confess before my Father who's in heaven. He said, whoever denies me before others, I'll deny before my Father who's in heaven. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Every person Jesus called to follow him, he called them publicly. Every one of them. And he died publicly on a cross for you. So if you prayed with me tonight, hey, you've made the greatest decision in your life, and I want to rejoice with you. And the Bible says heaven's going to rejoice with you. It really will. And so you ought not be ashamed of your decision. So I'm going to ask you to do something really bold. I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. The first thing is this. If you just now prayed that prayer with me and truly met it in your heart, I'm not going to come and get you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just trying to help you. Trying to help you to make your decision public. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.